Devastation, a weekly Magic the Gathering podcast where we talk all things Magic the Gathering. I'm your host, Joe Loudon, and with me always is Sam Neil. Hey, um. How are you doing, Sam? I'm alright, thanks. How are you? Yeah, not so bad. Not so bad. Mm-hmm. How's your week been for Magic, then? Um, I've actually played some Magic this week. Before. Awesome. Cool. I've done a couple of Dominaria drafts. Nice. The first one went well, the second one went terribly. Uh-oh. But, I mean, I'll get onto that later. Oh, cool. <laughs> that might be an end-step uh, story there. Uh, yeah, it, well, it ties into my card of the week. It's cool. just... Uh, I had such a bad time. Uh, and then I've played some Legacy as well. Sweet. Still toying around with my um, Green Rock Maverick list. Yeah, how are you finding it? Uh, it's really, really fun. It's really bad, but it's really fun. <laughs> um, I had a sweet game um, last night because I went... <laughs> I did a, did a Dominaria draft. Yeah. So I was drafting three rounds and I went 0-2. My deck was trash. So me and my friend Alex just dropped and played some Legacy instead because it was more fun. Cool. <laughs> um, and I managed to outweigh Slan the Death and Taxes player so that felt great. Nice, nice. But I mean, like, it, it was just, there were no close games. It was either he smashed me or I smashed him. Yeah. Um, but it's really fun. I'm playing Life from the Loam and Dark Depths and stuff in it now. Oh, cool. Um, it's just really good fun. Um, nice. And it's getting me very excited for GP Birmingham. Awesome. You're going to the GP? Uh, I'm definitely going to be at the GP whether I'm doing the main event or not. I still haven't decided. Cool. Because it would involve taking time off from work and stuff. Yeah. But I'll definitely be there like be there every day and I'll just probably go to work first and not do the main event. Awesome. Sweet. And how much magic have you played this week? Uh, very little this week, uh, once again, <laughs> to be honest. I uh, had a bit of a change in like the 18 hours I played last week. And uh, yeah, this week uh, I have mainly been putting my time in on Magic Arena. Uh, mm-hmm. Just checking out the weird format. Now we've got Dominaria. Sweet. Is the, uh, have you managed to play much of it? Is it fun? It's uh, st- still the same. Like as far as the game goes, it's still my feelings haven't changed in it at all. Really, um, the format is very strange because it's standard without Kaladesh. Sure, that doesn't sound great. No, so it's it's you know it feels like it's improving with sort of every sort of update they do every time they add new cards onto it. But mm-hmm. there are so many cards from Kaladesh that were missing that just just makes it seem really weird sort of like integral cards of the format that yeah totally um even yeah just stuff like like fatal push and like walking ballista and yeah loads yeah, of like, just absolute ballista. standard staples like even mm-hmm. the lands as well like the uh the fast lands yeah like they they're a really important part of most of the decks and not having them seems mm-hmm. it's yeah um, it's just weird it's quite weird mm-hmm. have you had fun playing it at all um i know you were yeah, loving it for a while probably like I don't know. I don't know if fun's the word. Like I do, I do enjoy how con- how, how convenient it is to just you know pick up a game, like you know turn the PC on, load up the thing within five minutes, and then thirty seconds later you're in a match playing against somebody. Like that's good. Like, it mm-hmm. is very easy to sort of just pick up and play. And the sort of one game per sort of like best of one game that the format is at the moment yeah, sort sure. of helps that a bit. Like you can just drop in, drop out. So yeah. you know, as far as that goes, it's fun, but. Still not quite enjoying it yet. Mm-hmm. I do like that they have now added the sort of updated sections of the events pages. So there's like a new mode in it now where uh, you pay 500 gold to enter uh, and then you play until you win seven games or you lose three. And then obviously you get different sort of uh, rewards depending on, on how well or how badly you've done. Oh, that's sweet. So yeah, that's all right. I've done one of those so far. I managed to get like 600 gold and like three cards so that was alright. Oh, cool, um, cool. But I mean, then, you've just been relentlessly playing a game that you don't actually enjoy. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's all part of the, <laughs> the testing of the game, isn't it? Yeah, sure. I mean, I've left that down to you. Yeah. <laughs> you've uh, convinced me, like, just not to play at all. <laughs> hey, the the exciting part is still to come. So they've uh, they've added a countdown timer uh, for when draft goes live on it as well. Yeah. Is that actual draft? 
it is actual draft coming next week. I think it's next Friday. Uh, we're going to so, have Hour of Devastation draft. Hour of Devastation draft? Yeah. Well, maybe I'll have to download the beta then. Yeah. <laughs> um, isn't it against bots, I read? Uh, so you're drafting with bots, but you are playing the games against other people. That, yeah. That seems that seems strange. Yeah, it is. Um, I, I assume it's all just because it's still in the beta phase, but... Yeah, sure. Hour uh, of Devastation draft. Yeah, Sweet. I'm looking forward to that. Like, okay, it's been a while, like, while since I've done one of those, and like, it seems really weird. The starting off with Arrow Devastation for a short period of time, and then they're replacing that with Ixalan, I think. Sure. And then after that, it's going to be Dominaria. That's. I mean, I don't understand why. No. <laughs> I mean, cool, but yeah, that seems that seems very strange. It just it just all seems a bit odd. But that's kind of arena in a nutshell, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, maybe I like. <sighs> What I've seen of the gameplay, like it seems pretty sweet. Yep. And if it's just like cool looking gameplay with draft, I mean we all know draft's good, so Yeah, draft draft's great. Mm-hmm. So I mean we'll see. We'll see how how it goes, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, other than Arena, uh, I've done I've done one Dominaria draft this week. Really just one. yeah, just one on Magic Online. Really enjoyed the format. Oh yeah, uh, I've been enjoying it a lot more than Xland. Yeah, definitely. I'm just gonna try and do as many drafts as I can over the next couple of weeks, I think. It's something that I'm mm-hmm. really enjoying. Sure. So speaking of Dominaria draft, should we get on with our cracker pack this week? Yeah, I have a pack. Awesome. Dominaria, and uh, this week I had to purchase it with my own money instead of winning it at FNM. Oh no, it went that <laughs> I badly. Did so horrifically badly. <laughs> oh no. But yeah, let's just get on with it. Cool. I've been really enjoying this format so far. Yeah. I mean, I've only drafted twice, but it just felt it just felt very good. Speaking of felt, I know last week you were talking about the cards. Yeah, yeah. They feel different. Yeah, they do. Yeah, it's like new yeah. new coating on them, like. It feels really good, and it looks really good. Yeah, like they're really nice. I really noticed the difference. I also noticed the uh, the hologram on the rares. Yeah, isn't recessed. It's actually just like flush with the card. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is a nice little touch. Yeah, I like it. Anyway, let's go on with this. Our first pick. Sweet. Yeah, Gitu Journey Mage. Okay. Two and a red for a human wizard. It's a three-two. Yeah. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, if you control another wizard, it deals two damage to each opponent. Uh, I mean, it's playable, but I'm not going to first pick it ever. No, I mean, it seems fine. I, I think I would play this card. Like, yeah, like you said, like I'm not excited about this card. No. Right. Next one, Lanoir Scout. Cool. One in the green for an elf scout, one three. You can tap it to put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield. Yeah. I'm not sure how to evaluate this card. Uh, I I think it's okay. I think it might be one that might be a bit better in sealed than draft. Because mm-hmm, you've got a slower format. Yeah. Sure. I, I, yeah, I mean, I'm not first picking this. No, definitely not. Because I've, I've been past it a couple of times and like thought about it. I never pick it because I'm not sure how good it is. Yeah. Maybe I should just play it and just see how good it is. But it, it means you have to have lands in hand and it's only a 1-3. I don't know. Yeah, I've, I found that in in sealed, like playing it on turn two was pretty good. Because um, then you wait till your opponent's end step, like once it's been out for a turn, then you just tap it and put a land into play and you sort of raise your opponent on mana a bit. But sure. okay. like as an early mana accelerant, it seems decent in sealed, but I would definitely have to play with it in draft to be able to properly evaluate it, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's not exciting enough for first pick. No. Uh, next card is Drudge Sentinel. Cool. It's that skeleton boy again. Yeah, it's uh, two and a black for a two-one skeleton warrior. Yep. You can pay three, tap it, and it gains indestructible until end of turn. Yeah, it's like it's not a great card, but I don't think it's a particularly bad card either. Like, no, I I did a lot of blocking with it on Friday. Yeah, it's probably my pick at this point. I oh yeah, so I think so far. Yeah, this is this is fine. Yeah. I think that's uh, it. Like, it's fine. I quite like black as a colour in the format. Yeah, black seems relatively... It's like, it feels like it's got most of the bomby cards. Yeah. So, picking up black early, like, feels like a good idea. I and agree. it's certainly better than the next card. 
What we got next? Rescue. Uh oh. A single blue for an instant return target permanent you control to its owner's hand. Yeah. I'm off it. No. Yeah, same. I don't, I, I've still not seen this card do anything good. No, I just wish they printed on summon. On summon would have been fine. Yeah. But we have rescue instead, yeah. unfortunately. Uh, next card, Sarah Disciple. Cool. One, any white for a bird cleric. It's 1 1. Flying first strike, and whenever you cast a historic spell. It gets one more until end of turn. Yeah, I feel like this is a card that maybe slightly underperformed as far as my expectations went for it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it's it's fine, but I just expect it to be a little bit better when I played it in Sealed. Yeah, I mean, I think I've seen it in play and like I've, it's been okay. Yeah, it's, it's definitely playable. I I think it might be my pick so far. I think it's slightly better than the Sentinel. Yeah, I, th- I think I agree so. with you. I, although, I haven't been impressed with it. I think it is probably my pick here. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Uh, next card, we have Bloodstone Goblin. Cool. One in a red for a 2-2 Goblin Warrior. Whenever you cast a spell, if it was kicked, Bloodstone Goblin gets plus one, plus one, and gains a menace until end of turn. No. I think it's, yeah, it's, I think it's just it's just a bear most of the time. Yeah, it's just like... I haven't wanted to play any of the kicker cards unless they're in green. Yeah. Particularly, and like, this is an aggro card you wanted to play with kicker cards, and that oh, most kicker cards just seem too slow. Yeah, it just doesn't feel right. Like, I think the fact that it's a goblin has more relevance when you're looking at playing it in, again, in sealed rather than draft, necessarily, yeah, maybe. Sure. But yeah, I don't think it's a good card. No, I don't want this card. Ooh, I like the next one, though. What have we got next? Ancient Animus. Mm. One in a green for an instant. Put a 1 1 counter on target creature you control if it's legendary. Then it fights target creature and opponent controls. Yeah, I like it. I like this card. Yeah, definitely. Um, again, with so many legendary cards going around, like you do find that it becomes more relevant than you would assume. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've just I've had some success with just casting it as a pounce. Yeah. Like, it's just been fine. Yeah. Um, I think I take this so far. Yeah, I think I, I agree. I think that would be my pick. I, I, I quite like green in the format. Yeah, I think green's fine in the format, uh, and I do tend to take sort of removal highly myself, and it's fairly efficient removal as far as green mm. goes. Yeah, we're into it. Uh, next card doesn't change that. What yeah, have we got Cardic next? Wanderer. Ah, okay. Uh, six mana, five five artifact creature golem. It has trample. No. No. I mean, if you want top end, I guess it's okay. Yeah, like yeah, maybe maybe I'll pick it up on the wheel, like if I find yeah, myself sure. in a green deck, but. Yeah, exactly. No. Like if you're ramping, like I don't mind casting this, um, but yeah, it's not great. Definitely not going to first pick it. Mm-hmm. Ooh, and we have Call the Cavalry. Okay. Three and a white for a sorcery. Create two, two. Create two, two, two white knight creature tokens with vigilance. Yeah, it's decent, I think. Um, I quite like this card. Yeah, I do quite like the card as well. It feels like it might be a bit strange making this the first pick, but... I mean- is it? I like, think it's. Is it better than Animus? I don't know. I really don't know. I, like I, I think white is a very powerful color in this format, and mm. and you are you know you're paying four mana to get two two twos. So you're paying four mana to get four power and four toughness essentially with vigilance. With vigilance, which is great. Like. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like as we know, unsummon isn't in this format. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, there's some knight synergies and stuff. Like I, I quite like this card. Yeah, me too. I, I think I. I I think I might take this as my pick so far. Sure. Yeah, why okay. not? Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that. Yeah. So, uh, and we have Divination. Okay. Two in a blue, sorcery, draw two cards. Uh, it's a great card, but yeah. never going to first pick it. I it's useful in this format, actually. Yeah. Um, but I, I tend to pick them up later when no one else has picked them up. Yeah, totally. Like, I I, I, think, I, think, I just think, think it's a good card. Like, I really do. Um, yeah, I just think it's good, but like, I'm not... I'm not taking it highly. Never, no, never going to first pick it. And no, you know, like you said, will. you'll find that they, they will wheel most of the time. Yeah, you'll just pick them up later and you like, probably want to play one for two anyway. Yeah. Ooh, the next card's an interesting one. Mm-hmm. It's our first uncommon. But, uh, fungal Plots. 
Ah, uh, fungal pots is great. Yeah, it's one and a green for an enchantment. Yep. And then you pay one and a green and exile a creature card from your graveyard to yep. create a one-one green sapling creature token. Yep. And then sacrifice two saplings, you gain two life and draw a card. Yeah, it's sick. I really like this card. Really? Yeah, really like it. Um. Okay. Okay. I I don't know. I I just found like the the saplings decks like. If you can get it to come together, it's really powerful, really efficient. See, I in the first draft I did, I uh, drafted a sapling deck. Yeah. And I drafted one of these cards. I was like, oh, it's a sapling deck. Maybe this would be useful. And I just couldn't bring myself to put it in the deck. Oh, no. Because it, I guess it requires you to... I don't know, it's, it's sort of a build-around card, because you need... Yeah, for sure. You need creature cards to go to your graveyard, right? Yeah. And not, they won't necessarily go to the... I don't know. Like, But then again, it just says, sacrifice two sapling draw a card. That seems fine. Yeah, like, I had... Like, again, it's sealed, so it's different. <clears> but uh, I did find... I had that card in uh, one of the pre-release uh, events that I did. Um, I had it in my deck, and there were like there were games where like I was making saplings and then like double blocking something with with like saplings to like chump block, but then sacrificing them and gaining the life and drawing card was like really good. Okay, sure. Like, I the... mean, I I could be convinced, but I honestly think I'm going to take Call the Cabaret over this so far. Yeah, that's fair enough. Definitely, I think I think I would probably take Fungal Plots uh, just because I do. I really like it as a build around, but I sure. Yeah, I, I mean, think I think it's probably like, the more. I think it's probably the more sensible decision to, to go for go for your plan there. <laughs> sure thing. Plus, I just really, I really like saying the name Fungal Plots. It's great. Fungal Plots. It's a good name. Uh, oh, we're not taking the next card. What we got next? Next in common is Memorial to Genius. Okay. It's a land, and as that feel tapped, you can tap it to add a blue, and you can pay four in a blue, tap it, sacrifice it to draw two cards. I really like this land cycle, uh, but we'll get it on the wheel. Like, Yeah, I'm not. There's no yeah. way I'm first picking this card. Yeah, I'm not going to first pick it, and I can't imagine anybody else around the table would be highly picking them. No, I just like, if I'm in blue, I'll pick them up, because they're pretty good. Yeah. Ooh. Our last uncommon is... Adelise, Adelise, Adelise. Ad- Adel- yeah. The Cinderwind. Yes. It's uh, one, a blue and a red, for a legendary creature, human wizard. It's a 2-2. Yeah. <clears throat> it's flying in haste, and whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, wizards you control get plus one, plus one until the end of turn. Yeah. This is, oh, this is probably enough to pull me into blue-red. Yeah, probably. Like, like three, three mana, 2-2 two, two flying haste is, like, pretty good. That's just fine, like, as a base, right? Yeah, definitely. And then, like, it has prowess. Sort of, yeah. Well, not well, not prowess, because it's instant or sorcery specifically. And then, I guess, like, if you actually end up in the wizard deck then it's it just be sick yeah so it's it's, yeah, it's definitely huge. it's definitely a bit of a build around but i think the payoff could be there yeah i'm into it yeah yeah me too like why it. not let's commit to two colors <laughs> yeah, sweet first pick commit to two colors let's do it <laughs> oh we missed on the rare oh uh, what did we get thran temporal gateway ah so four mana legendary artifacts yep you can pay for and tap it you may put a historic permanent card from your hand onto the battlefield no I mean, it's it's you know possibly a, a new toy for like Mono Blue Tron or something maybe. <clears throat> I mean, I need one for my CSA Commander deck. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna buy one anyway. So. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a decent Commander card, but yeah, well, got a nice mountain. Oh, Jonas nice. Mountain, it's really nice art. Nice. And we got the best sapling token. So which one's that? Is that the one that looks like a little snail? What, uh, Gary the snail from SpongeBob. Yeah. No, it's oh. the uh, it's the colourful one. Oh, okay, yeah, that is the nice. Purple, the orange and the yellow. Yeah. Throwing a little like Hawaiian skirt thing. Yeah, I, th- I think I'm quite partial to the, to the little snail one myself. What the really really weird phallic looking one. <laughs> <laughs> Every time, every time I like the first time I saw that, I was like, "That can't be what it looks like." That's it looks a bit dodgy. <laughs> I'm gonna have to have a look at one now. <laughs> but like, oh, I just like caught it out the corner of my eye, and I was like, oh, "That looks, that looks wrong." Oh, it does look kind of phallic. <laughs> <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Well, that's that ruined. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, dude. <laughs> no, the colourful one's the best. Like the little, the little uh, uh, Hawaiian skirt. Yeah, yeah, sweet. Yeah, so our pick is the. Uh... 
the the gold card, blue and red. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sweet, cool. Cool, that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, shall we move on to our card of the week this week? Yeah. Uh, What's your card of the week? Uh, my card of the week is Yorgmas Vile Offering. Awesome. Uh, why is this the card of you? The card of the week for you? Well, I'll, I'll read it and um, and then we'll get to the bottom of why it's my card of the week. Cool. So, Yorgmas Vile Offering. Yep. It's four and a black for a legendary sorcery. Yep. Uh, put up to one target creature or planeswalker from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. Yep. And then destroy up to one target creature or planeswalker. Exile your monster file offering. Yeah. So this is a good card. Yeah, uh, it's, it's definitely a, a decent card. So, so on Friday, mm-hmm. I was doing a draft release weekend. Yeah. I had a horrible draft. Yeah. Like I said before, it was just really, really bad. I ended up in blue-black. Pickings removal, like I got a really late pick, Eldritch Reborn. I was like, okay, sweet, this is fine. Um... I got like I got some. It wasn't very good. Just generally, it wasn't very good. Sure. But then I think pack three, pick three. I got past the Yorgmoth Vile offering. Oh, nice. And I was like, oh, dude, I'm gonna slam this. This is sweet. Like that's really good. Like this is a signal that blanks blacks open. Like yeah. I'm definitely gonna get some decent cards. I'm happy with it. So slammed it. No, no, this is pick uh, pack two. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. And then pack three. I opened a Yorgmoth Vile offering. Oh, nice. It's like, oh, dude, I'm gonna play two in my deck. It's gonna be ridiculous. Um, it's gonna be so good. Because the card's just very, very powerful. Yeah. And then I remembered uh, the small line of reminder text that it has on the card. For uh, legendary sorcery. It says, yeah, you, you may cast a legendary sorcery only if you control a legendary creature or planeswalker. Yeah. Would you like to guess how many legendary creatures or planeswalkers I had drafted? <laughs> was it zero? <laughs> no, it, it was one. It, okay, it was one. But it was, um, oh, was it the... The, the monkey card, the ape card, the Lonely King. Oh, yeah, Grun the Lonely, lonely King. Grun yeah. the Lonely King. <laughs> like, the Uh-oh. double green. I, like, I drafted a really, really bad blue-black control deck. Uh-oh. <laughs> so, like, so I'm saying to the table, like, do you think it's reasonable to splash this in my blue-black deck? He's <laughs> like, no. No. Um, so, it was, so I slammed this card, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to win this draft, because this card's amazing. Like, I can't believe I got it. Like, And then <laughs> just, like, couldn't put it in my deck, because I couldn't oh. cast it. Uh-oh. Um, and then I ended up splashing green for Yavimaya's Sappard. I like that card. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's really, really good, but I was playing, I was splashing green for that. Mammoth Spider. Yeah. And Gaia's, uh, Gaia's Blessing, is it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just splashing it because it cycled. <laughs> <laughs> so my draft was truly horrendous. Oh, no. So that's why I uh, went 0 2 and then dropped and played some Legacy instead. Yeah, that that sounds like a sensible idea. <laughs> Yeah, hopefully next time I draft, I can draft your Must File Offering and actually be able to cast it with the cards I've drafted. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was a bad one. Oh, well. These I mean, things yeah. happen, don't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah um, reading the card explains the card. Yeah. Anyway, that's my card of the week. It's cool. uh, my card of the week because I'm stupid. What's your card of the week, Jay? Uh, so my card of the week uh, is one that sort of ties into the overall theme of this episode, which we'll, so we'll get into in a bit. Uh, so my card of the week is Greed. Sweet, what does Greed do? That is an enchantment. It's three and a black. And quite simply, you pay one black, pay two life, and you draw a card. That seems like a powerful card. Yeah, it's a really good card. Really fun Mm -hmm. card. However, there is a bit of a theme. So Mm -hmm. this week we are mainly sort of going to talk about the world of MTG Finance. Ah, so you pick greed because... uh... Because, because it, we're getting greedy. Yeah, that's uh, one way of putting it, definitely. Sure. So why have you picked greed in particular? Uh, I think because it kind of really sort of flavorfully encompasses some of the, I guess some of the things that are going on in Magic at the moment, really. So mm-hmm. uh, obviously there's a the high there's a as far as converting mana cost goes, there's a sort of average to high cost of, of, of greed. It's three and a black, so four mana for a spell. Let's sure. say it's you know it's creeping up to the higher higher end there. Yeah. Getting a bit meta. Uh, and then you pay two life, draw one card. I feel is again 
again almost a little bit meta like you can you could say you could take that as you're paying a cost with your mana so you're paying a cost some money yeah, uh, true. you're paying two life uh, that would be mm-hmm. potentially paying you know taking life away from the game uh, to draw yeah. in a card and that would be to take a card out of the marketplace and put it in your personal collection okay I like where you're going I like where you're yeah, going yeah and that's something we are seeing with some of the older cards and some of the cards that are on the uh, reserve list yeah but there have been some uh some pretty crazy things happening in the last been, couple of weeks. Yeah. Some things have some things have happened, some cards have gotten very expensive. They have, yeah. So we'll uh, we'll get onto the reserve list a little bit later, but I thought mm-hmm. it's sort of really sort of rough crash course on MTG Finance and all the sort of aspects of it really, like what what is MTG Finance initially? So when I say like MTG Finance, what what would you think, Sam? Um so I think I mean MTG Finance it's, it's to me it's sort of keeping track of like how much cards cost and like the because like magic has its own economy, right? Yeah. Totally, yeah. Just keeping track of that and like prices that fluctuate and prices that change and whether you can get a good deal on a card. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I think economy is a really good sort of term to use for it because it does have mm-hmm. its own sort of economy, really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it's, obviously there are loads of different sort of elements that sort of go into the building the economy of the game, um, and you tend to find if you break it down right to the fundamentals, you've got uh, buying and selling cards as singles, and then you've got buying and selling cards as sealed products, so like booster packs, uh, bundles, mm-hmm. planeswalker decks, that kind of thing. And really, I think everybody just kind of wants to get value for money. They all kind of want to get the best deal for them. Yeah, and that's you find, sort of point. Yeah, totally. You find that generally buying single cards is the best way to do that. Yeah. So yeah, so you yeah. find that, that singles have like almost their own sort of global marketplaces. You'll find things like TCG Player and uh, Magic Card Market for Europe. And then you'll find a lot of the sort of larger Magic stores trade mainly just in singles. So things like Star mm-hmm. City Games and Channel Fireball. And uh, in the UK, we've got places like Magic Mad. House and Manalee, they kind of set the set the prices really uh, as far yeah. as like that marketplace goes. And that's how you that's you know so, so they're just selling them because that's how they make money, right? Like that's yeah, that's the business that they're in. They're in, they're in the business of buying and selling magic cards. Yeah, so yeah, this, they'll, they'll buy the product from a distributor uh, considerably cheaper than you would uh, if you're mm. buying it from them from the store. Yep. They'll open those boxes and then they'll sell those boxes. Sorry, they sell the cards that they've opened from the boxes for more than the cost of what it costs to buy that box essentially or at least that is the aim in opening the boxes yeah so they'll, so they'll make the money on it and those, they sort of they set the price for how much that card is worth really yeah pretty much yeah so if a, so if so if a store like so say, so say most most trades that happen we normally go by the price in dollars and Star City games yeah you'll find that there's this strange sort of common consensus around uh, trading as far as as far as trading in the UK goes you'll take mm-hmm. uh, Star City games because they tend to tend to price things sort of fairly like accurately fairly consistency uh, and they do tend to be on the sort of higher or more premium end so you'll, mm-hmm. you'll find you'll take their price in, in dollars and then most people are happy enough just to slash that in half and stick a, replace the dollar sign with a pound sign. I've never really understood that. I mean, I sell my cards at half of SCG's prices all the time. Yeah. But it's a whole, it's a whole strange thing. But they sort of send. So not only have they set a price of what they want, they want to receive for the card. Yeah. They're sort of setting a price for how much that card is worth. Yeah, totally. So, like, because of what Star City get, or you know, um, many of the sellers in the UK or in, in Europe, what like, because what those people have said a card is worth, that's what how much your card is worth. I mean, that's that's pretty wild, to be honest with you. Yeah, like, yeah. that's it's a really strange concept to see that just like you know, some people that work for a company that aren't even you know Wizards of the Coast or have anything to do with Magic the Gathering company wise set the price of how much these cards work. Like, I know how much my collection of Magic cards is worth because of someone that works in um, you know the buying and selling department of Star City Games, for example. Yeah. It's just it's a very it's a very strange concept. Yeah, it is. It is quite a strange one. So as far as like the actual pricing of the cards goes, sort of 
setting the prices of those cards, you'll find that they are sort of based on a couple of th- things. Uh, they are mainly uh, supply and demand of the card, and also mm-hmm. sort of the rarity of the card and the playability of the card. Yeah. So sort of economics 101 really you've got supply and demand if something is in great demand and there's a low supply that card will be expensive yep if something is in low demand and high supply that card will not be very expensive yeah so that's why you have junk rares or bulk rares when you open booster packs yeah totally uh, because you'll find that some cards are designed specifically for draft and for sealed uh rather than uh, constructed play and then mm-hmm. when you are sort of buying singles on the, the secondary market 100% of the time really they are going to be for constructed play rather yeah, than limited so, play we've seen this with with standard um, recently like there was a time where like you know most decks were playing a number of copies of the Scarab God for example yeah like between one and four um, and it's a mythic rare not many of those will have been open because they're a mythic rare yeah. and everyone wanted them for their standard decks to go and play in PPTQs and GPs yeah. there's a huge demand for it there aren't as many because they're a mythic rare from a new set and so the price is high yeah and then now we've seen sort um, seen a sort of drop off in the playability of the Scarab God it's still a good card oh yeah but uh, people are playing it less and less um, especially with the release of Dominaria and stuff like like the Scarab God has not been the best card in the blue black decks for a while yeah I mean it still takes over games but because of that the price has been that's reflected in the price like it's it's become less and less expensive it's still like $25 I think yeah but it becomes less and less expensive because there's less demand for it because it's less played because less pro players are putting it in their like GP winning standard decks is essentially yeah totally you'll, you'll find out a lot of things sort of as as meta shifts as the meta game shifts you'll find that some decks will get will get better they'll perform better other decks will perform worse and you'll find this sort of constant flux of some of the more rare or the mythic rare cards uh, their prices will sort of go up and down a little bit over the, the course of their of existence in the standard format mm-hmm. and then like you got onto modern and legacy and things like that and prices are just all over the place yeah definitely like how many times have you looked at a magic card and thought oh this must be a bulk rare this must be worth about a dollar and then you look it up and it's worth 25 dollars and you'll be like oh why is why is this worth 25 dollars and someone will just say oh commander yeah yeah and that... that, that'll be the reason it's worth any money whatsoever <laughs> yeah that has happened a, a, yeah just a couple of times so mm-hmm. for example it happened quite recently with me uh, this week with, with paradox engine yeah yeah like paradox engine is worth like like 18 dollars or something really yeah 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 exactly yeah example of a card that is not constructed playable in terms of like the competitive formats right like there's no yeah nobody's playing it in standard nobody's playing I, it in modern. i think this like, is you can't play it in legacy like, yeah i've seen a vintage deck playing it like a, a shops type deck yeah for sure like vintage is one of those formats where you you can you can almost play anything like you'll have like mm. a core handful of cards and then you can kind of just play anything as one of around them almost yeah uh but oh, yeah sixteen dollars sixteen dollars looking at the price there which Christ. Seems ridiculous, yeah. I mean, I yeah, I have a. I think mine's a pre-release foil with the date stamp. So that um, one is currently thirty dollars sold out. Yeah, for my for my commander deck, I just, I think I picked it up for about a fiver when it first came out. Yeah, because I mean, everyone, all the commander players lost their mind about, oh, this is busted, it's gonna break everything. Um, dude, the, oh wow, the invention, yes, the catalyst, like the masterpiece, hundred and twenty dollars. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah, for, for a quote-unquote unplayable card. Yep, because it's good in command. Oh my god. So with the masterpieces, I think once again that high level of rarity comes in because you've got obviously you've got rare cards, you've got mythic rare cards, and then you've got masterpiece cards which are extremely rare. Well, they're like seven times rarer than a mythic rare or something like that. Yeah, something like I'm not sure of the exact number, but uh, yeah, it works out approximately. I think it was approximately one point five per case of uh, booster packs. So that'd be six boxes of boosters in a case. Mm-hmm. So every one point five cases, you'll get uh, one of the masterpiece cards. And it could be it could be a rubbish one. It could be yeah. Well, okay, that's. I mean, 
those cards are I don't mm, those cards are very expensive those cards are very expensive uh, yeah well, we've seen a we've seen a fluctuation in them recently yeah we have seen a, a fluctuation in the masterpieces very recently that is mainly due to buyout yeah like so what how does a how does a buyout work so because magic's economy is a completely unregulated free market anybody mm-hmm. can say come along and say hey i've got a million dollars I'm going to spend my $1 million buying every single copy of this one card. Yep. Now, if anybody wants to oh, wants to buy one of those cards, so for example, we'll use, yeah, we'll use the Paradox Engine, we'll use Masterpiece Paradox Engine. Mm-hmm. So someone comes along and goes, okay, these are all worth $120. I'm going to spend a million dollars buying every single copy of them. And now, if you want to buy one of me, they now cost $250. Yep. And I own all the copies, so there's nothing anybody can really do about that. Yeah, so basically, one person or one collective... Yeah. Uh, goes out and buys all of or a majority of the uh, copies of a card. Yeah. So then they're more scarce, so people can't get access to them. So then they're willing to pay a higher premium to get a card because they can't find it anywhere, basically. Yeah, totally. Uh, and then that sort of builds into other things that happen along that that line. Uh, you will get something like uh, like TCG Player or Magic Card Market, where somebody will, will come along and they'll buy out every copy of that card available on there, mm-hmm. uh, and then they'll list them just a handful of them, or maybe even just one, one or two at a sort of considerably jacked up price so for example uh, again we'll use that paradox engine so they're $120 currently somebody comes along and buys them all and rather than going oh I'll charge $250 for them they go actually I'm going to charge $500 for them Mm -hmm. and what happens then is you'll find that a lot of the stores will move their their buy list prices so buy list some of the larger stores like Star City and Channel Fireball for example uh, they will buy any and all cards off you but they'll do so at a sort of a considerably lower price than you would sort of selling them yourselves on the secondary marketplace or like eBay or somewhere Mm-hmm. Um, simply because they want to make a big profit on it and you want a fast, easy way to get rid of your cards. Sure. So one of the things that does happen with the buyouts is they'll list a card for an extortionate price, like, say, $500 for this $120 masterpiece, mm-hmm. uh, and then that'll cause some of the, the companies with the buy lists to reevaluate their buy list prices. Yeah. So they'll raise their buy list prices to then, say, $250, and then that person who has them all, that bought them all at $120, will then buy list them for $250. Yep, and they'll have made... A, a load of money. Yeah, and then the baseline price is two hundred and fifty, so mm-hmm. they still doubled their money. Yeah, and I mean this, this happens. I mean this happens like in the world. Yeah, it. Oh, oh right. It, yeah, so it, I mean it happens in some things in the world, but you'll find with with most things in the world, as far as like stock markets and stuff goes, there are regulations, there are sort of regulatory bodies, there are you know governments sort of investigating all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with magic, you don't really have that. No, like, you just sort of all. you have you have buyers and sellers going, oh crap, that's happened. Yeah, we need to do something. But like, but there's nothing to stop these people doing it. Like they can they can buy as many copies of. Catalyst inventions, paradox engine as they want. Yeah, for sure. As, as much money as they have, they can buy that many copies. Yeah. Um, the one thing that Wizards of the Coast could do to combat it would be to reprint those cards. So, although I can't see them doing anytime soon for any of the Masterpiece series cards, mm-hmm. that's something they could they could always do. Any of the sort of more modern cards or any of the Masterpiece cards, any of the Expedition lands, they could sort of, yeah, which, as and when they wanted, they could just set, print, send another wave off to print. Yeah, exactly. They could just flood the market with these cards and like then they'd be less scarce and people would pay less money for them, essentially. Yeah, which is something... You see, this happen, you see this happen all the time, right? Yeah, with, definitely. Masters, like, master sets. Yeah, it's what happens with... Yeah. Um, I guess that was kind of like the, the real sort of intent of the of the master sets uh, was we do these reprint sets. So cards uh, such as like Tarmogoyf, for example, like at one point it was like, you know, it was like $400 for a, for a Tarmogoyf. Like, yeah. <laughs> and now you can you pick them up about 40 pounds. Like, oh yeah, I bought a set for like, I think 50 pounds each. Yeah, great. Like, 
be reasonable. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, you'll you'll find you'll see things like that. Like they do have the ability to reprint some of these, these cards. Um, yeah. they can print them sort of as and when they make money as a company because stores all pay sort of a, a fairly decent price to get boxes of those, crack the boxes, and sell all the singles for considerably more than they paid for. Mm-hmm. Great, works absolutely fantastic. That gets the cards in a player's hands, lowers the price of them. Yet you'll find a lot of them still do sort of retain some value the more the ones that are sort of in de- uh, demand more yeah like I've seen it specifically with um, cards like Noble Hierarch yeah, yeah. where like that card <clears throat> that card was incredibly expensive yeah um, it wasn't particularly played that much it was played in Infect and then it wasn't um, this is like before the Modern Masters 2015 print yeah it, so it's printed in Conflux it wasn't particularly played um, outside of Infect at the time yeah so it's fairly expensive um, and then it got and then it got printed in uh, Masters 25 no not Masters 20, Ma- Modern Masters Modern Masters 2015 yeah and um, it plummeted down to about $30 yeah and I picked up a set so I was like oh, I'm going to I'm going to play these Noble Hierarchs um, yeah. And then just over time, because you know there was a, there was a there was a healthy supply because the set had just been released and people were opening packs yeah. of um, of Modern Master set and opening you know these um, Noble Hierarchs. Yeah. And then the supply was sort of medium, like there wasn't really a deck that really wanted them. So, so the the Modern Infect deck wanted four. Yeah. And there weren't really any of the decks that were playing it at the time. No, I think there was like a like a Bant Eldrazi deck briefly that was playing this. Yeah, I think that was slightly later. Yeah. But yeah, like it wasn't a particularly like not as not like. Um, it's ubiquitous, a bit ubiquitous as Tarmogoyf has been in the past. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Which is that if you're playing a green deck, you're playing for Tarmogoyf. Yeah. Which is what in, like informed the price on that card. Yeah. Um, and then suddenly, like, well, not suddenly, like slowly, it's just crept up as more and more decks have started playing it. So you've got all the Collect Company decks are playing between two and four Noble Hierarchs. The Humans deck, which is now probably the best deck in the format, is playing for that card. Yeah. And the demand is now huge, but because that set's now dried up because it was released three years ago, copies of that card are harder to find. Yeah. So people are more willing to pay more money for them. Yeah. I also think specifically there has been a buyout on those recently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, quite, quite out of stock everywhere, I think. Yeah, that is it's again, it's the sort of the, the flip side of the things you you do see when you see these reprint sets. You'll find that the cards that weren't reprinted in the set tend to get bought out and the price of them mm-hmm. goes up. Yeah. Yeah, it's um it's it's hard to keep track of, like Yeah. You know, 'cause you're 'cause you're thinking, okay, I'm gonna so say you're you're trying to get into well, like I've been doing it, get back into legacy. Yeah. You think, oh, I'll I'll, uh, I'll pick up those cards eventually. It's not the kind of thing where you can just, oh, I want that, so I'll pick it up in a bit. You yeah. know, I'll save for a couple of months. Sometimes the right time to buy a card or to you know trade into a card if you're trading value for value is right now, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. There's certain cards where you, if you sleep on them, they can just skyrocket in price for whatever reason because a new deck breaks out at a recent Pro Tour or a GP and people want the card. Um, there's a buyout, something like that, and. <sighs> Suddenly, the the price of a card you want can double. Yeah, pretty much. Um, uh, especially when you're looking at formats like Legacy, mm-hmm, where the cards are old. The and, cards are old, yes. And there are very few copies of them available. Yeah. So some of the cards in particular, uh, they are very rare because uh, they were printed in sets that were released sort of in in the early nineties. Uh, back then, the size of the print run was considerably less than it is today. Mm-hmm. So that's one problem that they suffer from. The other one that they suffer from is a thing called the reserve list. What does the reserve list mean? So the reserve list is a list of cards that will never be reprinted uh, in order to reserve their value. So it was a reprint policy uh, published by Wizards of the Coast on the 4th of March 1996. Jeez. Uh, It was revised uh, twice, so once in 2002 and once again in 2010. Mm -hmm. And so the current definition of the reserve list is uh, reserved cards are cards that will never be printed again in a functionally identical form. Mm-hmm. A card is considered functionally identical to another card if it has the same card type, subtypes, abilities, mana cost, power, and toughness. Mm-hmm. 
and the exclusion of any particular card from the reserve list doesn't indicate that there are plans to reprint that card. Sure. The reprint policy applies to both English and non-English cards, mm-hmm. and all policies apply to only to tournament-legal magic cards in printed form. Wizard of the Coast has and may continue to print special versions of cards not meant for regular gameplay, such as oversized cards. Uh, the restriction does not apply on, on non-redeemable digital cards and magic online. Yep. Sure. So that is all this legal spiel of the reserve list currently. So basically, there are cards that are worth a lot of money. And so, but, but yeah, like, like, we, like we just said, when a card gets printed again, it loses value, right? Yeah, yeah. But your card was worth $50 and then it's been printed in a new set. Yeah. And it, again, it's now worth $20 because there are like a load more copies of Flood of Market. Yeah. Um, basically, when they first made the reserve list, Magic players got annoyed at that. Yeah. So they'd invested loads of actual money into pieces of cardboard. Yeah, definitely. Um, stuff when, like, you know, Black Lotus was $100, $200. Uh-huh. You know, you had uh, really powerful cards. People have put a lot of money in their collections. They, you know, all the collections yeah. were worth a, a couple of hundred dollars each. Uh, and then they released a set called Chronicles, which mm-hmm. reprinted a lot of those cards. Yep. Uh, fourth edition as well also reprinted a lot of cards. Yeah, and there was a massive uproar from the players who had, you know, rightfully, like you said, invested a lot of, of money in the, those cards, mm-hmm. and pretty much their whole collections were devalued overnight. Yeah, exactly. And um, I mean, at the time when your game's new and you want people to continue playing your game, yeah, you want to protect those people. You want to protect the people that are paying loads of money to play your game, that are buying loads of your product, right? Yeah, definitely. So you set up the reserve list where, okay, well, well we won't reprint those cards ever. Your yeah. cards will continue to hold or not if not increase in value. Yeah. Um, but I mean, 20 years later... <laughs> yeah, 20 years later, it causes real problems for players who are trying to access formats like Legacy mm-hmm. um, because of the prices. Because the cards are in demand and they are so scarce and so rare, the prices are commanding a much higher price tag than they did back when the reserve list was created. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a difficult one, right? Like... It's yeah. It's it is definitely it's definitely not an easy one. So I I think the I quite like the idea of a reserve list. So, so the I think con- that heart was in the right place when they made it. Yeah. So the concept of here are some really powerful cards. You know, we reserve the right not to reprint these cards. You know, because these cards are too powerful or whatever. Because these cards help fuel that secondary marketplace. These cards are desirable. Mm-hmm. So I, I quite like the the concept of a reserve list or sort of the idea of some sort of reserve or maybe like a rotating reserve list or something or mm-hmm. a reserve list with like a time frame on it. Sure. But yeah, it when it's completely open to abuse like it is at the moment, yeah. it just causes nothing but problems. Exactly, because the people know that these cards aren't going to be reprinted. Yeah. So I know these cards are either going to retain them because, you know, Magic has become a very successful game. Yeah. They're I know that these cards are going to hold value or increase in value because they're always going to be in demand. Yeah, definitely. So then you can just buy loads of copies, reduce the number that exist in the market, and then slap a higher price on them because you hold the majority of the copies yeah. of these cards that will never be printed again. Yeah. So if you go back to Noble Hierarch, that card will be printed again. I yeah. mean, I'm surprised it hasn't been yet, <laughs> if I'm being honest with you. Yeah, uh, I, I'm quite surprised it, has been, it hasn't been. Uh, so it's obviously it's had the RPTQ promo reprint yeah, but it doesn't really so yeah, it doesn't really do the job of putting the cards into players' hands like what a, like a master set should do. Exactly. Um, but that card, so if you if you hoard loads of copies of Noble Hierarch at, I think they're currently $80, $90? Yeah, about that, yeah. $90 each. If you currently, if you hoard loads of those, you have $90, and then the humans deck continues to do well, and they go to $100, and you think, oh, okay, I've made $10 per card. You've made, you know, uh, um, okay, it's not 10%, but <laughs> 10%-ish yeah. increase, right? Yeah. Um, in your in your value, 
And then two weeks later, they announced, oh, we're, we're doing Masters, whatever the hell they're going to call the next Master set. Yeah. Um, we're printing Noble Hierarch as one of the, as a, as a rare in that set. Yeah. Okay, so that puts more cards in players' hands, so more copies of Noble Hierarch are going to flood the market. So your Noble Hierarchs are no longer worth $90. They're worth less than that because there are more of them. Yeah. That's not going to happen with the reserve list. Nope. They're That's never reprinting these cards, so that just, it just can't, it can't happen, simple as. <clears throat> yeah, I mean... I mean, this is time of recording. We never know what might happen. Yeah. Okay. So I think, how? What are your feelings about the reserve list? Like personally, as as a Magic player, and as okay. someone I know is a collector of Magic cards specifically. Yeah. So it, again, that th- that thing where I am, I'm slightly conflicted because I I like the idea of a of a reserve. I think not necessarily the way they have done it. Like I think it would have been better to say, you know, we're not going to reprint these cards for you know five years or ten years or whatever or we're not going to reprint these cards but we can change this list at any time and reprint them if we feel the demand gets too high that kind of thing but as the reserve list currently stands I have to say that I am against this just because it's making formats great formats such as Legacy uh, such as such as Old School as well like it's it's just impossible for some people to get into yeah exactly like these formats become unplayable because you literally can't get your hands on the cards yeah or they're there, but you're you're never going to be able to afford them well, exactly this, I mean this is why because I've got back into Legacy like yeah. I want to play that format because it's sweet yeah and you get to do a lot of things in Magic that I like doing yeah um, but I've chosen a relatively cheap deck yeah like okay I've still got to pay for you know Savannahs which are like $120 a piece and stuff like that like, yeah. I've had to had to trade into those yeah. but that's still very expensive even for like a cheap bad not bad deck but like you know it's not like check pile which is worth like four grand yeah um, so I guess the the big one to talk about at the moment is probably lands so lands is a it's a fairly popular deck in Legacy it's a sweet deck I wish I could afford to play yeah, it it's a really good deck a really sort of unique deck it's called lands because it does play a lot of lands um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like over most most of them are playing like over like thirty lands in each deck. Like mm-hmm. it's just it's sweet. It's a really interesting deck. Uh, it's yep. been some really good sort of coverage of of the deck being played recently um, by like LSV. If you can watch that on YouTube, just search for Legacy Lands. It's great. It's a really good deck. However, the buy lists have affected it massively as of recent. So if we look at the price. Uh, going from mtgstocks.com uh, we've got the average price of a tabernacle at Pendrel Vale which is, uh, which is the best card in that deck yeah it definitely it's the sort of the key component of the deck I would say really mm-hmm. or the card that makes makes the deck work like it should yeah so if you go back to the 1st of April of this year uh, that card uh, the average price for that was $1,699 <laughs> So that's that's pretty expensive, right? That's a very expensive magic card. Yeah, so that was the 1st of April. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then today, as of recording, the 29th of April, uh, the current average price for that card is $2,999.51. Jeez. So it's it's almost doubled in the space of a month. That's cr- like that's the thing as well. Like so, so you're like, I'm going to play Legacy Lands. Yeah. My investment, instead of investing in property or a car, or <laughs> yeah. I'm going to invest in pieces of magical cardboard. Um, but yeah, I want to play this Legacy deck. This deck is sweet. It's exactly how I want to play. And I want to own a Tabernacle of Pendrel Vale. Yeah. So over the next 12 months, 18 months, I'm going to save up enough to buy one. I'm going to save up 1,600 and whatever dollars yeah. to buy one. Yeah. And you're like, you're just there. You're like, you've got like $1,500 and you're like really like a month away from saving up for this card you really want and you actually need for your deck yeah and then a week later it doubles in price yeah it's like you spent a year saving for this magic card yeah that you can no longer afford yeah i think that's one of the principal problems no absolutely and it, it you know can happen even faster than that so mm-hmm. chaos orb is one that i a card that i've personally been been looking to, to get a copy of recently yeah uh, so the 
that had a bit of a buyout uh, was it last weekend or maybe the weekend before. So again, mm. fairly recently, uh, I, I was just sat having a look through eBay on on Saturday night, uh, looking at the the cost of them, looking to mm-hmm. see if I could pick one pick one up at a you know reasonable price. Yeah, near mint copy on there uh, it was three hundred pounds, which is it's not cheap for a little bit of cardboard, not at all. Mm. Uh, near mint one, unlimited version. Sat and sort of ummed and ahed about it and thought, I really want one. This is an okay price, but it, it's a lot of money like it really is a lot of money to spend on a card mm, like absolutely. you know again it's it's reserveless so the price will only go up blah 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 but that's a lot of money so i thought well i'm gonna sleep on it if it's still there in the morning i still want it as badly as i do now i'll pick it up then sure that's a sensible way to look at it if you, yeah. you know if you know if you've got if you've got the money that you can spend on that sort of thing and that's what you want like that's you'll think about it and come back the next day yeah and do it totally I'm so achieving- there's a there's a turn in the story. I feel yeah, like. so so I went to bed. Uh, woke up the next morning. Uh, the price of a chaos chaos orb is now seven hundred euros, yep. cheapest. Mm-hmm. So they like literally doubled in price overnight. Literally overnight. Yeah, literally. While I was sleeping, somebody bought them all, relisted them at double the price the next morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, and now you can't afford one. Yeah, that's it. Now I can't afford one, or I'm gonna have to. You know, I'm going to have to save up for sort of a lot longer than I had done, get one. Yeah, but exactly, that, yeah. that doesn't stop that happening again in a month's time, though. Like, exactly. So you, so you finally get that much money, you know, you, you cut back on things or whatever, like you stop spending money on other magic cards, yeah. you stop drafting or whatever, yeah. you think, oh, okay, I want a Chaos Orb, and then, you know, <laughs> you get there, and then suddenly, oh, it's 1400 Yeah. And that's not even for a card that's actually constructed playable, right? Yeah, it, I mean, it's it's played in, like, every deck in old school, but other than yeah, that... Absolutely. Nope. So this is this is one again where it's it's the rarity or I'd say it's more sort of the supply of the card really that sort of pushes the price of it. Mm-hmm. There aren't many of in this card in particular, like the Tabernacle Pendle Veil, there aren't many of them in existence, like at all. Yeah. So I is it's something that you saw quite recently with the, the Bazaar of Baghdad, uh, when that card was bought out. Mm-hmm. So in Arabian Nights the sort of the two powerful lands in that are Library of Alexandra and mm-hmm. Bazaar of Baghdad. They're both very expensive cards. Uh, at current time of filming, yeah. uh, Library of Alexandria is uh, on MTG stocks. They've got it at a market average of one thousand and fifty dollars. Jesus. Uh, and then Bazaar of Baghdad, uh, market average they have uh, one thousand one hundred and seventy seven dollars. Don't you you own a library, don't you? Uh, I do own a library. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, feel free not to divulge, but how much did you spend on your Library of Alexandria? Two hundred pounds. Yeah, that's not that's not a thousand dollars. No, and that was, that was yeah four months ago. That was two hundred pounds. Four months. Like okay, it's a long time in terms of finance and stuff, but it's only four months. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, in almost four months, it's gone considerably, considerably higher. Quadrupled in price? Yeah. That's unbelievable yeah but uh, you, you've made I mean you're not even playing the game you just wanted to own a card and you saw it for a good price yeah but you've made money yeah I mean if I sell it I've made money yeah but yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. you that, haven't yeah. made money because you want to own the card there's a reason you bought it yeah um, but but yeah, yeah so you, I guess my, my point with this really was that yeah the Bazaar of Baghdad which was uh, it, it's not as powerful as Library of Alexandria as such as far as playability of the card goes and it fits in you know, more of a niche deck mm-hmm. uh, however that card does cost more currently and uh, that is because yep. it's speculated that there are just there are far less copies of Bazaar of Baghdad in existence than there are libraries. Yep. Although library might be the more playable and more desirable card yep. because the supply just isn't there for the bazaar. That's why that card is worth more. Mm-hmm. So again, when you go back to the Chaos Orb, when you look at Chaos Orb, I was discussing it with a friend recently, and it suddenly it just clicked. Like, well, Chaos Orb was, you know, it was an okay card in its time. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's never been a great card. Like, recently it hasn't seen play in anything ever, like apart from very niche play in old school. 
and it's like it's banned in most tournaments and like you can't play it on Magic Online you know none of that sort of thing mm-hmm. so it was, it was one of those cards that most likely over the years it's been sort of you know or just discarded or put you know put in shoe boxes and left or thrown mm-hmm. out or with this card in particular there's the because of the effect of the card so you it's a two mana artifact uh, you pay one and then you flip Chaos Orb from on, uh, on the playing area from a height of at least one foot. Chaos Orb must turn completely over at least once or it is discarded with no effect. Uh, when it lands, any cards that in play that it touches are destroyed as its Chaos Orb. That is not how much a card read these days. No, so it's a really strange, really unique effect. Uh, mm-hmm. But there are sort of, you know, I mean, it, it could all just all be sort of hearsay and rumours, but there are talks from tournaments back in the day where at that sort of next level and their opponents, players would rip up the Chaos Orb and throw it at their opponent's board <laughs> because technically the Chaos Orb is still touching, is touching mm-hmm. everything. Yep. So if you think of like how many cards might have been ripped up, how many cards, you know, I can definitely see players doing that for a laugh with their friends, just, oh yeah, I'm going to rip up this Chaos Orb and you know that kind of thing because yeah, sure. it was never really an expensive card back in the day mm-hmm. so because of things like this oh yeah it just sort of clicked that well there has to be less copies of Chaos Orb than there are Black Lotus in existence yeah yeah, which feels really strange yeah um, and it strives up the price yeah totally and you can totally see that reflected in the like say in that buyout of that currently sitting around 700 euro on Magic Card Market for a Chaos Orb Ugh, that's that makes me sad. Yeah. So how do you feel about the reserve list then? Good or bad? Uh, I hate it. I think it should go. I'm sick of it. Okay. I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think I, I think I agree definitely. But what would you do to sort of remedy that situation? Then? God, this is this is the problem, isn't it? So you know, I can sit here and say what I want. I'll get rid of the reserve list. It's stupid. It shouldn't exist. Yeah. You've got to think of something to replace it or something to do about it. Yeah. Because <sighs> there's one there's one method where you, you just because they they did for a time they had the one iteration of the reserve list was we won't print them in sets but we'll print them as like premium foils yeah, yeah. that's why you have the Judge Promo Phyrexian no no the Judge Promo Wheel of Fortune uh, yeah Judge Promo Wheel of Fortune and then is it Phyrexian Negator that's the one the, the, which is a, from a jewel deck it, and it's worth yeah. like 50p yeah uh, and yeah. then also the Mox Diamond, which is in uh, one of them from the vaults. Yes, and they were printed in, in premium foil, so yeah. you can only get them from buying a specific sealed product. Yeah. And that was where I put them in market, and then people still threw a hissy fit because it still affected the card, like the price of their cards, yeah. of their like original printings. And I don't know. I think that's that's a method of doing it. That you 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 do from the vaults dual lands. Yeah. And you print premium foil, underground sea, and savannah, and you just put them in a box and say, okay, this costs £200, and you can own one of every dual land. Yeah. And then the price of original dual lands from uh, Alpha through Revi is just tanks. Um, but does and, it? Uh, is the question. Does it? That's, that's the fear, right? That's what we assume will happen. Yeah, maybe. I think, like, so one thing I've seen it compared to is things like comic books. Like, obviously, various comic, you know, various old comic books, like Action you know, action Comics number one, for example, like, mm. that's, you know, in pristine condition, that's a, that's a million dollar comic. Yeah. A reprint from the 70s isn't worth half as much as that. Mm-hmm. And then a reprint from the 90s isn't worth half as much as that. And a reprint from the 2000s isn't worth half, half as much as that. Mm-hmm. However, that still, the original printing of Action Comics is still worth a lot of money. Sure. The price on that hasn't changed. People aren't taking the printing of action comics to go and win £20,000 in a Magic the Gathering tournament. <laughs> yeah, that is true. And I think, like, because it's generally, like, so there, there are collector's items and stuff like Chaos Orb. 
Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Generally, the price of a Magic card is informed by how good it is and how much people are playing it. Yeah. And people are always going to pay dual lands. Yeah, totally. They're always going to be worth money. And it will affect, like, you see, you affect the price with, like, so, for example, the Noble Hierarch yeah. reprint. They're both the same. The Conflux original printing from 2011, I yeah. say. 2011? I think so, yeah. That's nine. Jesus. Nine, wow. 2009. Um, is the same, it's exactly the same price as the printing from Modern Masters 2015, which was printed in 2015. Yeah. Uh, so, six years apart, and one looks objectively better than the other. I won't get into that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to get to how much I hate the current border of Magic Card. They're basically worth exactly the same because they're both functionally exactly the same. They both do the same thing. Yeah. Part of the reason that these that dual lands and reserved cards are so expensive is because only a few of them finitely exist. Yeah. Most Magic players probably don't care about how their Magic cards look as long as they all match. Yeah, as long as they're actual you know legal magic cards and you can play them. Exactly. Like you get to play them in tournaments. So I think obviously the original reserved cards will be worth more money. Yeah, because they're original and they're literally from like you know 1995. Yeah, so they'll be worth more money, but I don't think they'll be much different from if they printed it in a from the vaults or like you know that style of set. They had a sealed product with just all the cards in it. Yeah, from reserve list and they just put all the cards in it. I don't think they'd be that much different because the price is still like Mox, Mox Diamond for example is a ridiculously expensive magic card, but it's because it's playable. Like there are reserve list cards that are worth no money. Yeah, but they these are worth specifically like you know two hundred dollars and they're up to like ten grand. Yeah. Because they're good, because they're desirable to play with rather than just to own. Yeah, for sure. I think that does that does affect things. So like if you reprint which I think of a bad reservist card. Uh, a bad reservist card. There are loads of them. So just go through reserve list. Uh we will go with uh, musician. Musician. <laughs> musician. It's uh, two and a blue for a one three human wizard. It has a cumulative upkeep of one. And yeah. then you can tap it to put a music counter on target creature. Sick. If it doesn't have at the beginning of your upkeep, destroy this creature unless you play one for each music counter on it it gains this ability right okay so I'm not very good at magic yeah. this card sucks right yeah this card isn't I mean the art's great yeah. <laughs> but this magic card sucks this magic card is very bad I will not play this magic card in any format not even EDH yeah right it's still worth a dollar Ish. yeah yeah yeah. because it's it's on the reserve list yeah. if you reprint this card it goes down to 25 cents it goes down to 10 cents yeah the loss on it is negligible yeah totally the difference between like a black lotus yeah which currently sits at well, I mean what's the average price for say an unlimited black lotus uh, unlimited lotus MTG stocks have the market average of an unlimited black lotus currently uh, 29th of April is $5,600 sure like so if that gets reprinted yeah so with the musician say the price halves yeah right that's a, that's 50% is a considerable amount of money to lose on an object yeah. but if it's musician it's 50 cents yeah if it's about those it's two and a half grand yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and there's a huge disparity in that and like so if certain because I know there are some people in the magic in the, like, the magic community where the main, their main source of income is buying and trading magic cards and having yeah. money inside of physical pieces of really old cardboard they play with as a child. Absolutely. Um, people make their money doing it, and I know people that don't have jobs, they just have magic cards, and they buy and sell them at the right time, and they're really good at it. Yeah. If suddenly their entire collection of incredibly expensive black lotuses or whatever they have is cut in half, they might not be able to afford to pay their mortgage. Yeah. It affects people's real lives, and that's that's part of the problem. Yeah. So me being like, oh, I want the fourth Savannah for my legacy deck, but it's so expensive. It's like, okay, I like, that's a really, it annoys me every day, and I wish I could afford Tropic Islands and play exactly what I actually want to play in, in Legacy. But it's too much money to be messing about with. Okay, I, absolutely, I agree. Because this... It's... it's I, That is my opinion. The, the, the reserve list is stupid and you should get rid of it and you should print all the cards because the point of magic is to have magic cards to play with to play whatever kind of magic you want and yeah. that's the best way for magic sure but at this point people have got hundreds of thousands of dollars invested in a children's card game yeah and you can't go messing with that by just printing these cards yeah it's 
I don't know. Because even if you did, so like if they got rid of the functional reprint clause. Yeah. So if they if they came out with a like a, a black lily, right? Yeah. That said, cost zero mana, tap it and sacrifice it, add three mana, bring in one color. It's a black lotus, but it's not called black lotus. No. So it's not technically a reprint. That is correct. Um, I think with stuff like that, it has it has implications for formats as well. So like, you know, obviously they'd have to ban that straight away in standard. They'd have to ban it straight away in modern. Uh, mm-hmm. They'd have to like ban it in legacy. And then like, would would they ban it in vintage or would they just restrict it in vintage? And then you've got like two copies of Black Lotus in vintage. Like, I think they just have to ban it. Yeah. But then, then it's unplayable, right? But like, you know what I mean? Like if... If they got rid of that clause, that still affects the price of Black Lotus. Yeah, definitely. So, okay, why why do I pick up this card that costs $5,000? I can pick up this card that costs $200 from the new set that's called Black Whatever. Yeah. Um, So that damages the price. And then Black Lotus is still less in demand. Yeah. It's a tough one. I think they should get rid of it, but I know that they can't. Yeah. And also, it's a legally binding contract, so there's that. (laughs) Yeah, true, yeah. (laughs) And I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know anything to do with that, but I imagine it's quite important. So how would you feel then, for example, if they sort of changed the, the way that they did things and sort of did things like, um, I don't know if you're familiar with any of the Fantasy Flight games, uh, they yep. do a thing called a living card game rather than a TCG, like a tradable card game like Magic is. Sure. Whereas uh, whenever they release an expansion, so for example, Dominaria has just come out for Magic, uh, rather than buying booster packs or, or buying a booster box or bundle or whatever, you paid one set cost and then you got uh, a copy of every single card in that expansion for that set cost. Sure. That's less fun. Yeah. <laughs> And I think sort of the, the trading and collectible aspect to it, to Magic the Gathering, is part of the reason it's so successful. As yeah, a game. absolutely. Yeah, like so that secondary market. That, like you said, the fact that there are some people that just do make a living from buying and selling and trading cards, like mm-hmm. that, is almost as, if not exactly, as big as the game itself. Yep. It's um. So I don't know. Like, and there's, I think there's a reason that these like these living card games haven't taken off in the same way. Yeah. Because you know, Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, Force of Will, whatever any of these games are, they've all done reasonably well, right? Yeah. yeah. You know of them. You can buy boost packs of them. Most game stores that you can buy Magic the Gathering boost packs in. Yeah. I mean, you could, you've been able to buy Pokemon cards in Tesco for <laughs> for years at this point, yeah. um, and only just Magic cards. But you can't really go and buy Netrunner. No. Yeah. Or, or Legend of the Five Rings. Yeah. You can only go buy those from specialist places or from Amazon. Yeah. And I think that 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 does hold those games back because it's like there's no there's no excitement to it in terms of outside of the actual game. Yeah, totally. So you know, I, I play Netrunner. Netrunner. It's very it's a very good game. I enjoy it a lot. But the excitement is entirely within the gameplay, within sitting down yeah. with render an opponent and playing Magic, like playing like cards. But with with Magic, like there's always that excitement about oh, I want to require this or oh, I might open this expensive card that I can trade for this or like yeah, like, totally. Open this Magic card and sell it and pay for a repair on my car. <laughs> like yeah, it's it's that. It's like what, while while I might not have played. A lot of magic this week i've certainly been doing a lot of like hunting for cards i want like buying and selling trading oh, like yeah. all of that goes on pretty much constantly oh yeah i mean i, I put in like a, a 40 euro order on magic card market at two o'clock in the morning while i was lying in bed <laughs> like, yeah i um, yeah uh, i spent a little bit more than that on a shaharazad <laughs> from uh, from card kingdom but that's another story <laughs> i mean i bought I bought cards I already own. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Different, different copies of cards I already own. Yeah. Um, but there is that, right? Like, yeah, it's all part of the fun of the game, really. Like, exactly. you know, and you get really excited about it when you open a pack and you go, "Oh man, there's a foil card sign of Urza." Yeah, that's the best thing that's happened to you that month, right? Yeah, sure. sure I mean, okay, maybe your life's pretty boring if that's the case. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like, that's a really cool thing that's happened to you. And like, whereas you open a, a, a box of Netrunner, like you open one of the expansions, you're like, "Cool, I've got all these really exciting and good cards." Yeah, all of the cards that are on the list are there. Like they say, they should. Yeah, and so does my friend, and so does their friend, and we all have the same thing, and this is not exciting anymore. Yeah. Let's play a game. So, I mean... 
I think this is probably a topic for another day as well. I think that's part of the problem with like the sealed products. Yeah, sure. With like the, I think the commander decks are good. Like the command, you know, the sealed commander decks. Yeah. I think they're good, but I think they're part of that problem where you're just like, okay, well, everyone has those cards. But I think, I think the, the tradable aspect, the money aspect, the reason that an alpha battle is, is like twenty grand is part of the charm of Magic and part of the reason it's so successful. Yeah, I, I think so. I think to be a trading card game or a collectible card game and be as successful and, and last as long, you do need this economy there. You do need this sort of MTG finance element there. You do need a strong Absolutely. secondary marketplace. It is, you know, it's the underbelly of the game, sure, but, you know, it needs that to survive. It needs that to have the longevity that it has for the past 25 years. Yeah, I like, mean, like, you can't look many... at Yeah, you can't look at any other card game and go, oh, well, it's been going for 25 years straight. Like Exactly, you know, with, with very few few blips yeah you know like it's been sort of going strong for for ages but i mean how many how many businesses exist because richard garfield invented magic in 1993 like hundreds how many people are employed how many people have bought a house or <laughs> like because of magic the gathering yeah like star city games exist channel fireball exists like man league exists magic madhouse all these people have actual livelihoods because of the children's car game yeah uh, that's that's when you actually sit and think about it it's completely mind-boggling yeah not even that just like a or just a game that richard garfield in a friends made up on the side to play in between their sessions of Dungeons and Dragons yeah exactly <laughs> like just this thing that they did and they were like oh well it'd be cool if this happened and like you know I'm bored of playing D&D let's play like D&D with cards for 30 minutes Yeah. and now people have their entire livelihoods but depend on it Yeah. and if they stop printing magic cards so many people will be out of so much money Yeah. <sighs> it's it's crazy like the whole the whole thing is completely crazy it is magic's a strange game <laughs> even outside of the actual physical playing of it yeah. like, oh, it's God. great it's just another reason why I love it why I love this whole Absolutely. I mean, I'm about to have an existential crisis about Magic the Gathering. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, with that put to rest for this week, I think, you know, we didn't go too deep on, on finance. and I think we've covered the bases. Yeah, I think we sort of covered the bases. Um, if anything that we got totally wrong or, you know, anything you do want to talk to us about, MTG Finance, any advice you want to give us, any advice you, you'd, you know, maybe like from us. I don't know if that's necessarily a good a good thing, but uh, you can always <laughs> always find us on Twitter, um, twitter.com slash hrfdcast. Uh, we are hrfdcast on Facebook as well. And uh, we also yeah. hrfd cast at gmail.com if you just want to drop us an email too absolutely i mean or just come to fnm at uh, man league in birmingham yeah and like most of my friends do come and tell me i'm an idiot to my face yeah or just, absolutely you know, like, feel free to have a conversation with me <laughs> yeah absolutely like i'm always around playing events somewhere if not like um, joe alden on facebook hit me up send me abuse why not oh yeah, absolutely like, if you want to search me on facebook specifically i i'm i mean i'm nice over the internet <laughs> sure <laughs> <laughs> but yeah like twitter we've got a facebook page we've got email like, if, I, if people want to contact us if you want to tell what people want to tell us we're wrong if you want to send me a good meme yeah i'm always in for a good meme yeah let's do it let's talk so we've that out of the way then should we get on to our what the deck this week i'll make it oh, triumphant no, return good, what have we got, got this good. week what have we got this week so you know last week yeah we were like my god mark samber is absolutely terrible what is everyone talking about yeah it's like just not a playable card well the underscore gunslingers yeah on magic online clearly listen to our podcast sure <laughs> um like screw those guys <laughs> i'm gonna play modern and i'm gonna play four mark samber in my modern deck four mark samber in modern wow featuring such hits as three copies of isumaru hand of, hound of thunder yes four kithian hero of akros yeah two thraven inspectors yeah that yeah i, I like thraven inspector and then just you know the rest of of death and taxes list yeah 
<laughs> four Leonin Arbiter, four Thalia Guardian Thraven, three Blade Splicers, two Brimaz, four Flickerwisp, two other Thalia, three Hero Blade Hold, yep. four Path to Exile, yep. good. and the aforementioned four Mox Amber, four replacing Mox Amber. what I imagine should have probably been four Aether Vials. Yeah, probably. Yeah, it's. Um, I'll, I'll finish the list before I get into my true opinions. Okay. <laughs> uh, we have the lands one, a Ganju Castle. Yeah. Four Ghost Quarters, because yep. they're in combo with Leon Arbiters. Three Horizon Canopies, two Mute Vault, nine Planes, two Sheffer Dunes. Sheffer Dunes, nice. Actually, just a big fan of. Yeah. Uh, Cyborg is also not particularly noteworthy. Three Burns and Forge Tenders, yep. one Fragmentize, one Graft Digger's Cage, one Sun Lance. Okay. Two Blessed sure. Alliance, two Rest in Peace, two Stony Silence. One Dismember, one Oblivion Ring, and one Gideon Ally of Zendikar. Okay. Cool. So, Why is this deck playing Mox Amber? <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know. Um, yeah, I, I don't see like how beneficial that one, that I mean, those four Mox Ambers are. Like, it, it, It's just when... Like, so they're playing legendary creatures. Yeah. So in order to facilitate the playing of Mox Amber, they're playing seven copies of one mana legendary creatures in Kithia and Lissamaru. Yeah. Which are, in my opinion quite bad yeah I mean there's a reason they're not played in one yeah it, it's that like in a vacuum sure like Kithian's an okay card but you, sure, you don't want to be one. dropping it turn one and one yeah but like and then that's ramping you into Brimaz yeah which then turns on your other Mark's Ambers yeah which then ramps you into Hero of Blade Hold yeah like, like turn two what? Brimaz just doesn't even seem great to be honest like no I mean, I agree so you're just like you're playing like so the core of this deck is a good deck yeah you know Lupin Arbiter Thalia Blaze Blizzard Flickerwisp like you know, Path to Exile you know, it's a death and taxes list yeah. that's a respectable modern deck there are many different flavours of it and like it's a, it's a deck I'm actually interested in playing myself sure I want to pick up some Aether Files so you take you take that core of good cards that have proved themselves in modern over the years yeah and you're just like nah screw that screw playing efficient and good magic but <laughs> you know proven to be good I'm going to play Kithian and some Mark Timbers yeah God, like it's mm, it's so bad <laughs> I just don't understand what that's really doing for you how is that advancing your game plan how is that better than just playing Aether Vile and actual good cards yeah because I, I mean I assume that one extra mana that you're going to get on like you know turn 2 or turn 3 or whatever mm-hmm. would like, it would just be a lot better to play Aether Vile like yeah and then that, like that have, saves you mana yeah but the reason Aether Vile is good is that it cheats mana yeah instead of costing 3 mana a Flicker Wisp costs 0 mana yeah whereas Flicker Wisps still costs two mana with your Mox Amber. Yeah, exactly. And you have to have a legendary creature in play. Yeah, and if your legendary creature is Thalia Guardian Thraven, your Mox Amber costs one mana anyway. Yeah, that just, just, just seems like a bit of a non-bo there, doesn't it? Yeah, like, uh, I, I'm so I'm so sick of this card. So, what what was the result with this deck? It went 5-0 in the competitive modern league on the 24th of April. How? Five wins, zero losses. How? How? Yeah. Their opponents were asleep. <laughs> yeah, <sure>, maybe. <laughs> Just timed out. Like, I don't know. Like, maybe I'm completely wrong. Maybe this deck's great, and like, Mark Sanders, the truth. Maybe they were just playing enough good cards, like Leon and Arbiter with Ghost Quarter. Yeah. Uh, you know, Flicker Wisps and stuff. You can't even flash in the Flicker Wisps with Aether Vile. You just have to cast it on your main phase like an idiot. Yeah. Maybe they were just playing that many cards and then, like, they never drew the Mox Ambers and the Samarios, or when they did, it didn't matter and they just won games anyway and they yeah. had unbelievable matchups all day. Maybe. I don't know. How did this... Or maybe you just, you know... Okay, so you, you went, like... So you went turn one is Samaru and then you managed to cast your Hero of Blade Hold on turn three yeah. and you just smashed him with a massive hero. Yeah. I can see that working. I don't think you should be doing it, but I can see, I can see it killing your opponent. Maybe, but there's just, like, it just... It it just feels I mean yeah sure like I know everything dies for removal but I feel like mm-hmm. you know playing turn to Brimaz that's just gonna get like fatal pushed or like you can you can already do that without putting crappy yeah. cards in your deck yeah you can already do that you played Birds of Paradise or Noble Hierarch 
Yeah. And then you just cast Brimstone on turn two, and it's gas. And like, I mean, it's still not that much gas. It's medium. It's but, fine. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you don't have to play an Isumaru. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to put these bad cards. And you put a respectable card like Noble Hierarch. And yeah, I, I just, I just don't quite understand how the deck wins as well. Like, is it just, is it just trying to like smash? Yeah. Is it just trying to like flood out of tokens from like Brimaz and Hero Blade Hold and then try to transform Kithian while while like sorcerer speed thalering your opponents like <laughs> God like there's nothing sadder than actually just casting a flicker wisp right? Yeah. On your, oh, or like not, sure. not drawing any Mox Amber and having to cast Hero Blade Hold for four mana on turn four. <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've done that, and when I did that, I wasn't very good at magic. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm still not very good at magic, but I know that that's a bad play. Oh, I don't know, like, how embarrassing is it just cast that on turn four? Yeah, like... I, I don't know. Or if, like, so you're on you're on the draw, and your opponent's... Like, you don't find your Mox Amber, and you're playing a Storm, and your opponent just goes off on turn three before you can cast a Thalia. Yep, seems... Rather than just playing Noble High Rocks instead of Isamata and Kithian, and... And Aether Vials and flushing in, like, yeah. Right, Vowing and Thalia at instant speed to beat the Storm opponent. Right, I'm gonna. Okay, I think I should set a precedent for what the deck going sure. forward. Okay. Alright, now that we've trashed it, yep. <laughs> I'm gonna rent this deck from Mana Traders. Sure. I'm gonna load it for Modern League. Yeah. And I'm gonna see how I do. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. And I'll, I'll report back next week. Because awesome. I, I can. Because this deck is incredibly cheap, so I can afford to rent it with my current Mana Traders. Uh, yeah. <laughs> my current Mana Traders farm. So, it's sure. <laughs> so currently 273 ticks. Cool, and 110 of those are Mox Ambers. No, that's that's the paper price. Mox Ambers oh, right. are oh, sure. for a playset of 35 ticks. 35 ticks, okay. Um, so still lots more than this. Yeah. The most expensive card in this deck, far and away, is the Horizon. Horizon can be, yeah, that's fair enough. But I'm, I'm going to rent this deck, I'm going to do a league, and maybe next week... I'll have to come and apologise to everyone. Yeah. <laughs> like like you did all those weeks ago about Bobbles. <laughs> we'll and I'll be like, no, Mark Sanders the truth. That's fine. We'll see. I, just, I don't think that'll happen. I think this guy is crap. But, um... Yeah, but I, th- I think that should be uh, the sort of, you're right, president for what the deck going forward. We'll uh, actually play it. Trash the deck, and then we'll spend the next week playing the deck and see see how it goes. I just feel very, very bad about our, yeah. uh, our previous choices. <laughs> yeah, sure, man. I mean, I'm just going to lean on Arbiter and... Ghost Quartz and people, it's going to be great. Like, that's always been good. Sure. Playing a Kithian has never been good. Uh, that's that's the what do they like? I mean, if anyone has a good Mox Amber Brew, like, I'm more than happy to hear about it. Like, don't tell me about Standard. I'm sure that card's fine in Standard. Yeah, as in it won't see any player ever. Yeah, like, <laughs> it's probably a two arc in, like, a deck that wants some mana sometimes. Sure, yeah. It's. <sighs> I don't know. I'm gonna keep checking that. Like this deck didn't didn't five zero again in the next league from the twenty seventh. Yes. Yeah. So um, we'll have to see. We will. Yeah, I'm sure you'll you'll play it and you'll see what happens. Report back next week. Oh yeah, I'll be I'll be. I'll what the deck next week will be uh, from the festive one league in a week's time. <laughs> where uh, it's me five zeroing with this list. <laughs> awesome. So we'll be what a deck forevermore. Great. <laughs> it let's let's move on. That's how what the deck. It's, sure. I, I don't get it. <laughs> so yeah, that's about all we have time for this week on Hour of Devastation. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed the show this week. Uh, but once again, we are approaching the second hour. The God Pharaoh has returned, and we'll see you again next week. Bye!